so Michael, an example of a systemic um, aspect. All right. So argument. So what the reason the housing crisis that we had had everything to do with the ruling class thinking, okay, how can we make more money because uh, we are not we're not lending enough money we're not taking enough we're not extracting enough in you know interest we need more hmm. so they intervened in the market they used the force of state to create a structure that uh forced the, or actually okay i'm not an economist i i either artificially inflated or depressed the interest rate or they did something to create a housing bubble mm -hmm. right that was artificially created so that they could like make more money yeah but in the end, that housing bubble fell apart. So now the uh, now they have to use force in a different way to kind of cut their losses, or you know, to try to uh, you know reap whatever they can from that you know field of 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 of, of oppression, yeah. and uh, you know, and move on. So what do they do? They start evicting people from their homes, and then blaming those people for going on TV and calling us lazy. And saying that we never should have borrowed money, that we knew we couldn't pay back, and that these people they don't want to work. And you know, in the in the middle of that, we were also having, you know, I don't know, a lot of this was partly related to the housing bubble, but there was a larger thing going on that, for whatever reason, unemployment is just totally, totally up, and it's like not people's fault. Nobody wants to sit around and do nothing all day. People enjoy, you know, um, being productive with their time. Um, what did you say? What was the term you used? Wage slavery. Wage slavery. And I also, when you when you mention um, housing, I could I, just an example. When I was in Houston, um, you know, there's all sorts of real estate being built out, and and you know, and that was people building houses a lot. There was a bubble here, you know, historically. Uh, I mean, I mean, there's cyclical, and it's a result of people profiteering. Okay, and money is a plural term. It's a result of people conflating their value systems, and it's effectively a bait and switch. I mean, the, the United States currency can function as a public contract, and in that sense, anything anybody does with it, I may as well be underwriting as a citizen, and it may as well be – the dollar may as well be a piece of paper that has my name on it that says I, you know, Chris Braswell, support and endorse this narcotics or this prostitution transaction. You know? So that's why we are put upon to police what people do with the money. It's my opinion that it is not one of the uses of, of the currency to profiteer. Because money in and of it's, it's a tool. It's an intellectual tool. It's a public contract. It, you know, in some way, it settles private debts, but it's a public contract just like a police agency or a school district or a public court magistrate. Um, and so we have everything to say and every complaint are well within our rights to complain when people are malappropriating or malfeasors are operating or they're doing, you know, committing crimes with the money because they're doing it in our name. So it's, you know, back to the, the public contract that is the currency, okay? I mean, yes, it can settle public, private debts, but it also functions as a public currency. And it's, you know, it's there to prevent actual laborers and artisans from being used as legal tender. For, it's there to buy people time if they need bread rather than impoverish or hang people with. Anybody who tells you that I can't fix the school district because of the budget, it's like a plumber telling someone I can't fix your toilet because of the fact that my plumber's tools are no good. Well, that's not how it works. That, that writ is there for the purpose of administering a school's district. So when people profiteer, that's not the purpose of the, the dollar. The dollar is there as a tool, as an, in, as an intellectual tool. It is, as, you know, it is, it, for example, Mike and Chris doing business as, you know, the United States dollar. It is a tool. It is no more than that. Um, 
you know, and people are just accruing it for purposes of gaining, you know, uh, power over someone else. That's not what it's for. And profiteering is a kind of racketeering, and it's a crime. Well, the, so the reason why we advocate— a And that happens with housing bubbles. That's a result of people using real estate as currency, which is the same thing. It's not—I mean, yes, it represents wealth, but it's not so supposed to be functioning as an act. Well, so the reason we advocate a separation of business and state is because once um, people with money gain access to the enforcement power— then um, they can distort the market in ways that are self-serving. Right, as I mentioned earlier, it'll, it'll, you know, they'll derelict the original, uh, the axiomatic philosophical foundation of of a government or a system or a, of a community. And I mentioned Houston, as I was saying, there's all sorts of build out going on down there, as there was here, as there has been, and all when it happens, when real estate, you know, people flipping houses, and that, it's not just individuals flipping houses like on the TV show. I mean, entire, you know, organizations, corporations, and widely known. You know, above board corporations flip houses in terms of, you know, large platted real estate projects. And while that's going on, there's all sorts of stuff going on in big cities where you've got empty housing sitting there block after block after block of nice houses where I lived in North Houston most recently. I'm you know, I may have been the only person paying, you know, you know, that that hadn't just homesteaded and, you know, and, and, you know, I was actually paying rent. But there's just neighborhoods full. I mean, people just they're just it's just. And it, it maybe not necessarily for the worst, but there's they're empty houses, empty houses, and yet they're building more on the extremities of the metropolitan sprawl in order to feed a, uh, a bubble. And they're you know, and they're they're apparently or arguably doing it with our currency, which is completely out of line. And completely, we're in within completely our rights to get up and say we don't have to. You know, we vacate this contract. We don't have to listen to you anymore. We're not put upon to deal with it. It's your own fault. You do so at your own peril. And quite frankly, they're doing so at our own peril. And that's where police power actually comes upon, in common law, us. That, that is all. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so I guess to summarize that thought, price fixing the interest rate led to a housing bubble. And then they turned around and blame it on the people they're evicting. Sure. After sure. they basically rode um, our backs to, you know. Like 2008 through 2010. I mean, it's still going on. And, and when that bubble popped, yeah, in, there was a mortgage on. bubble, and it, there, the courts, and there were courts tied up with all sorts of business therewith. And I, have, I expect, I suspect, I presume, I hear tell, often people are just left alone if they know what to do. If they know their rights, they say, "Look, you just can't, you just can't." And then some people don't know that, and they're on the street. I wonder if nationally now. I mean, this is relatively recent news. I wonder if nationally now, what the homeless numbers are in the context of the burst of that housing bubble in 2007 and 2008. Do you have any qualitative uh, estimation about that, Michael? Um, not in front of me, no. Do you, I just, I'm instinctively kind of knowing that it went up. Do you, I mean, it, I mean, I mean if, it, if it is as they say it is, it would, you would, one would expect that it had gone up. I mean, they say well, Detroit's really in the toilet now, for all I know. Everybody in Detroit's sitting around going, ha, ha, boy, we, we got rid of everybody. We have our own city. We have a population of 20 now. You know, well, I mean, that you, could be probably some of that occurring anyway. Yeah, of course it, it did. And then cost of who? What happens is people are experiencing intense mental anguish and they begin to self-medicate. So that downward spiral, it's not. Now, when we get to addiction, we'll talk about, you know, that. Um, you can make a choice to recover and that, you know, you make the choice to use and you're responsible for that, but you also experience powerlessness, right? Yeah. Once that disease takes over, um, 
that's that you know there's a delusion that that that's and it's not even necessarily irrational when you really don't have any other source of joy mm. you know when you're literally living on a street and you're being you know criminalized for the very act of sleeping you know and you're having to beg for money and you hardly have any food then i mean it actually seems like a fairly rational choice to use it an artificial means to relieve yourself of that pain and of course that feeds into you know it, the experience of continuing to be homeless um but it becomes something that you know it wasn't a choice ever made in a vacuum it was yeah. a, it's it's a response to um external circumstances and then uh but then uh, it's a stigma that the um you know it becomes part of the blame oh you chose that you must have just you know you're a crackhead and so you deserve it you're an alcoholic and so you deserve it and sure. and there's no no um deeper thought put into like well how did that person get here and how much of that is actually choice most of it really isn't nobody wakes up in the morning and says i want to be homeless when i grow up sure nobody does that absolutely nobody so there there are underlying issues there that are at the root of it we'll get to further on that substance abuse for example I've, i'm gonna i'm gonna skip the outright libertarians question here in the name of time and i'll tack it onto the end because i do want to hear about that and prompt people to involve themselves with such an organization or become active in their political landscape but the criminalization of homeless and who profits from that now you've mentioned the what's the, what's the phrase all right the nonprofit industrial there, complex yeah okay so when an organization, okay, the, the, the term corporation, in a truly liberated market, we wouldn't be, um, our organizations would not be sanctioned and chartered by the state. And so there's like a document that you apply for. And in the business world, that's a corporate charter. And it gives corporations access to a body of law that shields them from accountability. It, it, it allows them access to um, the enforcement power in ways that are harmful, right? So that's... And then the mirror of that in the nonprofit world is the 501 structure, right? So it gives um, those organizations access to a set of operative, um, an operating paradigm that is ultimately harmful, right? Because the government begins pulling the strings, yep. right? And so the 501, that's what I refer to as the nonprofit industrial complex. And it's kind of, it's under that umbrella of law and the, and, and the state has, you know the ruling class knows how to make money doing freaking anything and so there is i mean yeah there are people who do nonprofit work because they genuinely believe in it and they don't make a lot of money doing it well, it takes but, money to make money so right to speak. but then there's another portion of people who are just using that as an umbrella to pay themselves fat salaries and attend fancy conferences mm. and you know throw fancy conventions and everything else like that um, and argue with people who are attending those conferences. They may be uh, wage slaves. They're just having a good time at it. And it doesn't bother them that they could be categorized as a wage slave. Well, yeah. So, and the reason I. But they're not free, arguably. Uh, yeah, exactly. I would assert that. Actually, I, there's a quote. Um, there are none are more hopelessly enslaved than those who falsely believe they are free. Sure. There are a lot of people who believe that they're free every day, but they're making a very controlled. They're, they're walking through someone else's preconceived programming yeah exactly so the nonprofit industrial complex there's a huge one arisen around the homeless population so if they can use um, sympathy for the homeless population to raise money to build housing for example well then they can dole out 
you know, contracts to, you know, and oh, another insidious one is the public private par partnership, right? Like, I can't think of anything less private than a no bid contract with a government agency that goes to somebody's crony. Yeah. Like, that is a total misnomer. You might, it's not private if it totally relies on state power. Yeah. And so, if you have it, unless, unless the state is private, I mean, something you said does. I mean, it does illumine or pierce the veil, right? Exactly kind of where the rub is. Like, okay, well, when, when you know, there's this, there's a book somewhere that has operating parameters so everyone can be on the same page with respect to doing business among one another or among each other. Uh, but, um, you know, it, but then the government starts to encroach upon it, you said. Well, there's your rub, okay? And, and it's just like any other institutional organization. I've seen school districts run great, and I've seen them run awful based on the same platform. You, and so the difference is the people in there. So it's a people problem. The, philosophically, utopia is utopia. And it's, uh, you know, it is, as, a, as an idea, so to speak, and I hate to use such a, a term that's stigmatized like utopia, but I have seen instances where a system works great, and people consult the book when they need to in order to communicate and be on the same page with other businesses and do business, you know, and, and, and not aggrieve anybody or gore anybody's ox. But then when you actually, you know, when, when agents of the government, so to speak, get in and, and start derelicting the process, I think that exemplifies what the problem is. The government isn't a person, and it's so often personified. Well, the government this and the government that and all sorts of hyper, hyper, incendiary hyperbole, which is which – is, philosophically unsound on its face because the government is not a person like the 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 agencies i mentioned earlier like the dollar like a police force like a like in our in our nation you know and in, in, in you know it's it is just a tool it, it is a it is a it is a it is a intellectual construct that is no goes no further than you and me or me and her doing business you know and this tool has been created at such time that it becomes cumbersome or flagellates us about our own heads and necks must remember that it's our own creation and, and to let it control us is ridiculous. You're bound by your own chains. So, so, um, you know, I think, I think we need to, I mean, we're put upon people who understand are enlightened about, about government by the people, right? Well, the point is, is you don't let, you know, your own intellectual construct enslave you, but that well, happens. And, and whenever, and, and just because people are doing it doesn't make it right. People say, okay, well, haha, I've got this nine pound hammer. You do what I say. Well, and they may do so. It doesn't make it right, and certainly not, you know, it's not moral. It's not ethical. So the the important thing to realize about the difference between the hierarchy of state and any other human form of organization is that the state claims to have a legitimate use of force. It's the only hierarchy that we allow to use physical force to coerce people. So then the ethical question becomes, what is and an, there you go again the state claims well you and i are the state so it's okay, time so that you and you, i are and, and so then ask yourself this question what is an ethical use of force do you have the right to force other people to do things that you want them to do do you have a right to physically point guns at them and make them do things well i mean we're talking about uh, real property for example i think this is an excellent argument like you've got a situation where you got the you know you've got armed officers relocating from the, there's there's a statute there that says you can't be at this park okay right like so so i mean i think that's a perfect philosophical quandary i mean i don't think that anyone has a right to come up you know and say hey you know do what I'm about to say or I'm going to kill you. And there's all sorts of extenuating or mitigating circumstances like self-defense, stand your ground, you know. Um, but 
but what you know what what's your what's your what's your 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 religion enlightened religious leaders and and illuminated ones throughout the history of humanity would say would be figure out a way to educate and relocate and rehabilitate and it's a lot of work and that's why people like you are doing what you do as for a living as a vocation most people don't aren't interested in rehabilitating educating and relocating the homeless you're like one guy here i mean you're in a very that makes you a very important person politically and electorally but yes it's an excellent philosophical quandary that you that you propose absolutely i, I hear you one people devote their entire careers to it people such as yourself so that is a, the reason I brought that up, and I know I'm just kind of inserting this here because it's it flows. I, just, I, just, I would just, flows. I would just I would interrupt I, you to say be careful about reinforcing the personification of the state as something that's enfranchised to as a boogaboo boogeyman. Yes, you have to be aware of derelict people bearing false witness in the name of the state. But well, remind people always that we are the state, and anytime anybody says, "Hey, the state's going to do this to you." bend over well it ain't right well yeah so the core of libertarian philosophy is the non-aggression principle yes, which sir. states that um the initiation of coercive force of fraud is prohibited but it's not prohibited by others right because you don't have a right to force me what to do it has to come from within i have to choose to live by the non-aggression principle mm. i have to choose to recognize that i don't have a right to force other people to do things and therefore i don't have a right to delegate that to the state so no vote that I cast can ever give someone else a right to do something that I didn't have in the first place. That's so that's, that's what I mentioned with the currency earlier. Like if someone's buy, for example, I don't support the narcotics transaction that happened down the road or the prostitution transaction that happened down the road with the U.S. dollar, which might as well have my name on it. I have something absolutely to say about that, for example. Well, and, hold, because um, the, the idea of a legal tender, a fiat currency itself is a, is a, is a, is a, is a force-based coercion of the market mm. you are forced to accept that money because it's legal tender otherwise we would use things of intrinsic value besides the dollar which has been incredibly devalued by the federal reserve and which is subject to the manipulations of the interest rate and actually by the way it doesn't even represent value it's actually debt that it, the federal reserve is a private bank that loans prints the money out of nowhere then loans it to the government at an interest excuse me, loans it to us at an interest. So I have news for people. Debt is not prosperity. Well, and I think people need to realize there's a difference between the United States <laughs> Treasury and the Federal Reserve uh, Bank. I mean, right. there's a difference. And if you really think about it, when you say, when I, when I hear fiat currency, I think the congressional power of the purse. It doesn't have any in the Fed. And that's an example I mentioned earlier about people conflating their value chains and conflating their money. And to be honest, the Federal Reserve is a completely different value chain than the prescription the the ascriptions for congressional power of the purse in order to uh, uh, capitalize the United States Treasury that's that's laid out in the Constitution completely two night and day different universes that don't ever have to interact with one another and and that's why that's why tax protests have such uh, such wide open carte blanche purview but this is an interview for another day you and I could go on forever about this and neither of us are arguably neither of us are experts we probably get somebody in here but it's better yeah, maybe we just say, you know, Chris and, and, and Mike doing business as uh, the United States Treasury. But but anyway, so um, a summary thought is that intervening in the market drives people into poverty. 
and that leads us back to home. Right, and you say you have to accept this currency as legal tender. You don't necessarily have to. I mean, you don't. You could you could say, look, I want to be paid in chocolate chip cookies. I want to be paid paid in. I wanted to be paid in Bitcoin. I want to be paid in in uh, art. You know, and that's you know, I want to be paid in real property. I want to be paid in, in good faith, and that's what you know. But but we do go on about the currency. But that's one of those things where you have to take this with yeah. I mean, insofar as somebody will take it. But if the currency is debauched, you know, then then. Yeah, you don't have to take the payment. Now, if you're a constituent to a federal program, I, you know, or a, you know, a program that is the, that is the ledger domain of, of, uh, of, uh, of the government, and that's all that they have, then fine. But I don't, I don't, I would, I would, I wouldn't, I don't, I would, I would, I would look closer at the argument that you have to take that particular currency. I mean, somebody could pay you in pesos. Would I accept them? <laughs> and you wouldn't have to accept those either. Um, I'm totally biting my tongue because, to be frank, I'm not, you know, I'm economics. I just, you know, I don't know. I, I'm turned on by the idea that um, liberating the market can make prosperity, uh, you know, uh, can give us all access to pursue the blessings of liberty. It should But work. beyond that, like, I don't really, like, to be frank, like, money's not my master. I don't spend yeah. a lot of time studying it. Yeah. Um, I just know that something about the legal tender currency, and, and I don't know, if we look up YouTube videos, we could watch it all day. Like, yeah. there's, there's a huge injustice going on there, and it's posing as freedom. It's posing yeah. as wealth, and it's not. It's, yeah. it's force and fraud. And yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're definitely right. I mean, it's certainly, I, I consider, I mean, they say follow the money, and, and it's, a, it's an excellent forensic tool. Um, uh, regarding the city code, uh, getting off of our, <laughs> our, our economic, our... Uh, Shipley and Braswellian economics. Mr. Shipley is involved with a local grassroots political effort to change, as we've talked about, through um, ballot initiative, uh, the portions of the Phoenix City Code, which criminalize homelessness, uh, Phoenix City Code 23-8, paragraph B, and the entire section of uh, PCC 23 through 30. 